A few months ago, I, I told you the story of uh, my friend, Christian, who uh, lives in the Northern Territory. He's a midwife up there. And he got in touch with me and he said, look, I found this wonderful woman and uh, Caroline is her name and, and, and we're getting married and uh, we'd love you to come up and marry us. And I said, oh, that'd be so good. And so we ended up buying tickets along with people from all over Australia to go to the Northern Territory. And I had this privilege of doing marriage preparation counselling with the two of them. So I got to know them over a month and a half. And then COVID really spiked and all the eastern side of Australia was pretty much shut down and we weren't able to go up there to the wedding, which was unfortunate, a real unfortunate turn of events for them. They had planned all this accommodation for their guests and um, so that was a, a, a bit of a sad turn, <clears throat> but nowhere near as bad as what happened after they were married. They had this great service, and then the day or two after, they jumped in a car, a Christian's Land Cruiser troop carrier, and uh, driving along roads in the, in the outback in the Northern Territory, they had a terrible accident a couple of days after um, being married, heading off to their honeymoon, they had their life before them, at least the way they thought it would pan out. Caroline had a, a scholarship to go to Seattle to start a PhD, and it was, it was this huge adventure. And I remember Christian saying, I just, I, I've, it's been tough, I really need a great break, and we're, we're loading up our honeymoon with so much um, rest required. And instead they were airlifted with a spinal injury to Adelaide, and he's now working through the rehab of all that. How, can, how life can change, hey? If you've lived much of life at all, you know it sort of can change like that. And of course, COVID has taught us that if we ever needed to learn the lesson more fully. You just don't know what tomorrow will bring. It can be stressful. It can be stressful, the unknowns of life. This morning, I'd like us to examine a very powerful portion of Scripture and ask of it seven questions. It sounds like a lot to get through, but we're going to move through it pretty quickly. Questions are the tools that God uses for reflection, aren't they? Have you noticed that? Questions are so powerful. And if you don't ever ask hard questions of yourself, you just won't become the person God wants you to be. But challenging, probing questions are normally used by God as doorways through which we find a brighter future, a more meaningful future, and a closer walk with Jesus. So we've got some questions to ask today, and I think they will help us reflect on some of the events that we're living through, like Christian and Caroline had their life turned upside down, but they're not the only ones. Many of us are walking through things right now that uh, have been surprising and they're a challenge. So I, find, I, I hope these questions will be helpful for us all. John 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to read some of the text from verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The first question is, has the life event you're experiencing been designed for the glory of God? Has that life event that's filling your horizon, has it been designed for the glory of God? Hey, isn't it great to hear that Jesus had friends? Anyone pick that up? You know, he had associates, he had disciples that followed him, but he had friends. He's a normal human being. And he says about his friend, this sickness will not end in death. No, this event, this painful event has a greater purpose. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Lazarus is not going to remain dead. Jesus has this awareness somehow, either it's a very powerful word of knowledge or it's his divinity mixed in his humanity and has this insight about the future. But Lazarus is not going to remain dead after this event is concluded, but there's a little bit of distance to travel to get to that glorious ending. Can I ask you another sub-question? What do you reckon? Is suffering redemptive? Is suffering redemptive? I think if you ask a bunch of people like us, and I have many of you, most people say, yes, it is. By redemptive, I mean, is there a purpose in what you're going through? I've also spoken to people who have suffered greatly and have pondered the terrible evils that go on in the world. And they have come to the conclusion that not all suffering is redemptive. It's just part of a fallen world. It's a very big sub-question under this other one. Has the Lord um, designed these events for his glory? For me, as I reflect on Scripture, I think the great example of suffering is the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, knowing that through it he would sit down by the side of the Father in glory. And we're told to carry our cross also. So for me, as I've journeyed through life, I believe it is. I believe that there is a powerful truth in Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God is working every event towards a place that is ultimately good. Is there an amen? And if you don't want to say amen, that's okay, because it's fair to say, well, not always. I want to suggest to you that suffering is redemptive. Mary and Martha are distraught. They are overwhelmed with the present reality of the situation. But Jesus is seeing a bigger picture. So what is it for you, just to stop and not keep racing through this sermon? Is there something that comes to mind for you? You've had lots of things you've worked through in life, but what's the one that's right there? 
Is it a health issue? Health issues just like, bite you, don't they? Out of nowhere. A symptom, go to the doctor, oh, something serious. It's crazy how quick your world can be turned upside down. Relationship challenges can be sort of similar. Everything can be going sort of fine and then something starts to come unraveled and we find ourselves experiencing an event that's painful and we're trying to learn what it's all about. Work demands change, don't they? And we can experience a whole lot of confusion and and pain about how to manage our time. What is it for you? What, What is this period of time that you're in with COVID added to whatever else is going on? Could it be that this life event is actually for God's glory to be revealed? Could it be? Question number two. Has the Lord intentionally delayed his answer, his solution? Has the Lord intentionally delayed answering your prayer about that event? Verse 6. I find verse 6 is a just particularly poignant, pointy verse in all the Bible. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, this is Jesus, he stayed where he was two more days. What? And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. The last time that Jesus was in Jerusalem, they tried to kill him. So there's a chance that he's like, you know what, if I go back to Bethany, which is about two k's away from uh, Jerusalem, there's a chance that angry mob are going to catch me and it's going to be curtains. It's all going to be over. And my death is very significant. So, you know, maybe he wondered about delaying it for that reason, but it's far more likely, isn't it, that there's a plan afoot. Lazarus is meant to die. Doesn't that sound weird? Lazarus has to die so that he can be raised from the dead. The text says that Jesus stayed where he was two more days. Time in the kingdom of God, time in the outworking of the plans of the Lord is never wasted. Have you found that? We, when we've been reading the Bible together, it's just so obvious. 40 years. God will say, here's a promise, pause. 25 years before Isaac turned up for Adam, uh, Abraham and Sarah. 25 years. Other times it's 40 years. Other times it's 400 years. There's a few occasions that the people of Israel had to wait 400 years for God's answer. Of course, we we know Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and someone else was three days in the belly of the ground. Jesus had to wait three days. Have you discovered patience is preeminent as a kingdom principle? Yes. The things that God wants to do in your life and mine will require patience. It's just not like this. He uses time to teach us things. Question three, can you reframe your situation? Can you reframe? But Rabbi, they said, verse eight, a short while ago, the Jews they there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, 
are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. He's, he's reframing it, isn't he? He's, he's telling them that it's different. What's happening is different to the way you think it's happening. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. That's an important line, isn't it? So that you may believe he was allowed to die. Because something's going on here that's bigger than what you can see. Let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, let's give some kudos to Thomas. Always known as Doubting Thomas, but there he is, brave Thomas. Amen. Let us go and die with him because it's not looking good if we go back down there near Jerusalem. Jesus is reframing the situation. He says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. What does it sound like when we, when we think of sleep? It's a nice place. Someone else is in control when you sleep, aren't they? You're not running things. You're not working. You're not controlling when you're asleep. The Bible says that God grants his beloved sleep. It's a place of rest and re- replenishment. It's, a, it's normally, normally, typically a good place. Jesus is reframing. Are you familiar with that idea? To reframe. Anyone got eyes that change colour depending on what shirt you wear? Anyone else? Mine are sort of a motley, greeny, bluey, grey. And if I wear a blue shirt, they'll look a little bit more blue. And if I wear a green shirt, they'll look a little bit more green. And it reminds me that frames of reference will change how you see things. It's a biblical concept to reframe because if you don't reframe with a biblical perspective, you can take yourself down a really unhelpful path. Because how you perceive the events that are happening to you will, how you perceive the meaning of them will affect how you respond, yes? So the frames are so important. And this is what Paul says in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In another way, it's saying reframe the way you're seeing the world. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. One of the frames that we can lose sight of is if there is no God in heaven who is good and all-powerful, if there is no God in heaven who has demonstrated that he loves us beyond reason, beyond what we could imagine. He, he loves us passionately, demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. If there is no God who is above every other power, physical, natural, spiritual, if there is not a God that we can trust in and a kingdom of God that is beyond what we can see, then the events of our lives can be overwhelming. They can be. That frame 
where there's no higher power that we can call on who cares about us, that worldview is an overwhelming place to live within. But if what you're walking through, and I walk through, has passed over the loving desk of our Father in heaven, and he has allowed it to come to us, then that changes it all, doesn't it? That there is one who cares about us. He cares about you. Really, he does. That's another question. Does he even know you exist? Yeah, he does. He even is interested in how many hairs you've got on your head. He knows everything about us. And that changes everything about us, about the future. May we be able to reframe and find the miraculous grace in that frame. To reframe our past and pre-frame our future. Curated by the goodness of our good God. What events mean to us will largely be determined by the construct or frame we build around that event. Question four, is God allowing you to feel as you go through what you're going through? Is the feelings that are emerging, are they actually designed by God for you to feel? It's a question. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus and his disciples have travelled back to Bethany. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, and this is a bit of a kick to the guts, I reckon. If you had been here... My brother wouldn't have died. She's pretty honest, isn't she? Are you allowed to be that honest with the Lord? Amen. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I think we can all relate to Martha every now and then. Martha and her sister Mary are right in that epicentre of a tsunami of grief. They've just lost their brother. They're in a place, do you know what this is like? You might describe it as disbelief, numbness, mixed with a bit of anger. There's certainly profound disappointment and sadness. Lazarus's now been dead and in the tomb for four days. We've, some of us have experienced you know, really serious grief. Four days in, it depends how you're processing it, doesn't it? Four days in, you may not have cried yet. Or four days in, you may have run out of water in your eyes to cry. Everyone processes grief differently. But four days in, there's a there's a yucky feeling about life. That's how I would describe it. It's just... Uh, this is the, the fourth, third, fourth day I've woken up and life will never be the same again. It's a terrible thing, the feelings we experience in grief. 
Have you ever stopped and observed God doesn't seem to have the same aversion to feelings of pain as I do? Don't you reckon in the Western world we live in, we tend to avoid pain? How's the air conditioning in here? Thank you, Gary, for designing it. Who wants to feel the pain of humidity? Not us, Westerners in Australia. Hot weather's for the beach. You know where I'm heading, hey? Like, we avoid discomfort. We avoid feelings that don't feel good. But it seems to me that God seldom concurs with this obsession with pain avoidance. It would appear that not only did God design human emotion, he did, didn't he? He designed it. But it would seem to me that he allows circumstances which will trigger these emotions. And we're actually meant to feel them. Can I encourage you in Jesus' name? Feel what you need to feel. Because this idea that we've been taught, some of us, over our lives, that when you get a feeling, you box it up and put it in a coffin and bury it, put it down. And you know what? That, that's the feeling. Saying, excuse me, can I come out? I'm going to get you later. I'm coming out later. 10, 20 years later they come out, don't they? Feel the feelings. Because they're a gift by God. Not to be overwhelmed perpetually from those feelings, but feel them because they're part of the way God's designed us to cope. And then ask the questions that need to be asked that give meaning to the feelings. Amen? That's how we're meant to do life. Here Martha has been allowed by the Lord to feel the sting of death. The ultimate consequence of sin, the relational separation that tears our heart apart. But it's so that they might believe. So that they might believe. This is all for the glory of God and the emergence of belief. So what are you feeling right now? Can I encourage you? Feel your feelings. Don't let them drive you to sin because they can. You can let them then frame up your mind and sort of get a bit edgy towards self-medication and, and, and doing things that are not helpful. So we have to manage our feelings. And other people can be really helpful to help us do that. But let's feel. Question five, is this event designed to be a revelatory kairos moment? Kairos is this really cool Greek word that means a significant period of time. It could be short, it could be long. A kairos moment where we receive revelation from the Lord. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I think this is a kairos moment. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, no, 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 this is... This is You've been chosen to go through a whole lot of pain. 
but you get to be front and center when I say probably one of the most important sentences in the whole Bible. Martha, because of your pain, you are right there. I am the resurrection and the life. I breathe life. I'm the word of God, Martha. You don't understand that I'm your mate. But I'm the one who God the Father breathed life through. I am the utterance of God. I'm the word of God. Through me, everything has been made. Nothing that is there was made without me doing it. (coughs) And I sustain it all. It's for my glory. It's for me. I am. I just am. I am God. And I am life. And I will rise from the dead. I am the embodiment of conquering death. I am the champion. I am the resurrection and the life. Death is not the final frontier. Hallelujah. Death is not the end, Martha. You think that it is, but it's not. I am the way through. Do you believe this? Can you see how God has set this all up? For the most incredible revelatory moment, a kairos moment that's unsurpassed. But what is God doing in your life? What revelation of his truth is he working towards? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Because if you do, there's nothing in this temporary world that can actually touch you. We have to be reminded that of it every now and then. You're going to live forever. There's some pain along the way, but it's very short compared to eternity. You're going to live forever if you have faith in Christ, if you believe in the one who is the resurrection and the life. He's with us. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's what we need. That's what we need to know that the one who is life is with us. Whatever season of disappointment that you are in right now, it would seem from the biblical testimony and the testimony of our lives that Jesus is in no hurry. His agenda is that we might believe that he is the resurrection and the life and we can trust him. Now, I know it's gonna, you can't hurry up the process, but you sort of can every now and then because sometimes God wants to teach us something and we keep on saying, no, no, go away. <laughs> he just keeps us on a roundabout like people of Israel for 40 years. So maybe the best thing to do is say, I see it, Lord. I get what you're trying to say. I need to repent of my sin and receive the revelation of your goodness and turn away from disbelief and put my belief in you. Father, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Holy Spirit, I believe. Have your way in my life. I trust you with everything. If we can get to that as quick as we can, um, you don't have to learn so much about patience. Amen? Rapid obedience is the greatest sign of maturity. Rapid obedience. Verse 27 to 37 raises the same questions as question four. Is God allowing you to feel? This time it's Mary's turn. And she asks very similar uh, questions to what 
Martha, her sister, had asked. In 27 to 37, it's Jesus' time to feel. Talk about an imprimatur to feel. Are you picking that up? Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead and yet he weeps. What is the go with that? Other than he is so powerfully saying, we designed emotion to be experienced. And I'm weeping because I'm connecting with you and there's the Greek word sort of sounds like he's a bit angry as well. He's probably angry that death has caused this problem and sin has caused all this. But he feels. He demonstrates emotional vulnerability. Question six. Has Jesus given you new life? Because it's available. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here and that they may believe. This is what it's for, that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. After four days in the tomb, that is some miracle, isn't it? Take away the stone. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Romans 4 says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And that's what we're we're called to do. Against all hope, in hope, to believe. Jesus dies on a cross for our sin, the sin of the world. If you come to church regularly, because I, I was had the privilege of saying these words yesterday, you might think, the person up the front, they're always telling me this same story. <clears throat> Jesus died for my sin. It was my sin that put him there. He never sinned. He had a perfect relationship with God. But the good news of the gospel, the story of Jesus, the story of Easter is, the one who didn't deserve to die on a cross did And you and I and every other human being in history who would put faith in Christ, the ones who did deserve to die, by faith can get what he deserved. It's called the divine exchange. He takes my sin and by faith I take his righteousness. And that's the gospel. And you know what? We're going to keep saying it every week. Because it's where the power is. It's where the power is. Our sin should take us to death, but it doesn't because Jesus died in our place. Hallelujah. And all who believe in him will be saved and live forever. And the Spirit will come and make his home in our heart and we will be born again. And if you've not done this and you're watching online, maybe it's today or many days or weeks later or you're here today, can I encourage you to consider ABC, 
admit you're a sinner. Admit you're a sinner. That's not hard to do. Admit you're a sinner. Be, believe Jesus died in your place and rose again from the grave. And see, commit your life to this one who is Lord of all creation. Admit, believe, commit. Has Jesus given you new life? Are you feeling a bit down coming to the end of a year with this coronavirus still hanging around? And we're going through a challenging time as a church. As Rachel left, it's, it's not the happiest Christmas ever because there are some challenges. And that doesn't even take into account what we're all going through in our own lives. But if you know Jesus, you know life and life forevermore. And we hold on to that. Has Jesus given you new life? And the last question is this. Are you still wearing the grave clothes? Are you still wearing the grave clothes? Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know what often happens is we put our faith in Christ and we get this truth downloaded into our hearts that I'm going to live beyond the grave. But it hasn't changed me now. I've got a ticket. I'm going to go to heaven. But right now, oh, I'm just a miserable sinner. Yes, we are sinners. But if you're a Christian, you are a saint because you are the body of Christ. God looks at us the way he looks at Jesus because Jesus has taken over our life. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's what baptism there is all about. The old me has died, the new me comes to life, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Somehow, wonderfully, miraculously, God looks at me and sees his son. That makes me a saint. And if you have faith in Christ, you too. So let's live as though we're saints. By the grace of God. Yeah, we still sin, but it's not our identity. We're saints who sin, not miserable sinners who can't live a life to give glory to God. We do it all through Jesus. And really, it's another example of the power of reframing, isn't it? What is your identity? Is it a dead person walking around with grave clothes hoping to get to heaven? Or is it a saint who was born again, filled with the life of Jesus? Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I have come to set them free. I have come to set captives free. We are not meant to live our lives as though we're just miserable captives. Hallelujah. This is the good news of the gospel. In Christ, we are a new creation. So may we live like we are. Take the grave clothes off. A few months ago, just finishing up, we looked at this passage in our Life Hub and it was one of the, the more meaningful times in a small group I've had. We just wandered through, like this, we just wandered through the story of Lazarus. And at the end, we said, some of us have lost people like Lazarus who have died. Um, but all of us have lost dreams. All of us have had dreams die. And that's obviously what happens when someone dies, as I mentioned yesterday at Christmas. When someone dies, they, they take dreams with them and we grieve the loss of those dreams. But it was so powerful as people shared in our group, 
without any detail I'm going to share now, but just the dreams of a fulfilling life. People said, you know what, I, I don't know. It feels like it's died. The, the dream of a great relationship with your kids. If it's not dead, it seems wrapped up in grave clothes. I can't get at it. Or, or some have lost spouses through divorce or, or death. For some, it was, it's the dream of ministry that's fulfilling and fruitful and, and it's sort of dead. It's in a cave. And you're there going, oh, I, I miss I miss when I felt fulfilled in ministry. Are you connecting with any of this? It's painful when dreams die. You feel stuff. Can I encourage you to feel and ask? Feel what you need to feel and come to the dream reviver and ask, could you raise that dream from the dead? Would you, could you? Would you give me another chance at obeying, at stepping out in faith? As mentioned yesterday, I really believe with all my heart that God is a dream reviver. The dream of knowing him, he revives that dream in Jesus. And you know, somehow he puts desires in our heart that we wonder, are they, are they for God or is it me? Just bring it before God and he'll guide you. Just bring those dreams before God and say, Lord, here they are. Would you breathe on them? Would you bring this dream out from the tomb? Preach it. Yeah. If you didn't hear it, Kerry said uh, she, her dream is more scripture teachers. Anyone else want to yell out a dream? I know some of us are yelling it out inside. And these are personal dreams. I don't expect too many people to yell them out. May 2022 be a year where your dream is raised up again and given life. And that life you receive from being part of that dream Give it away. Give it away with thanksgiving in your heart. And let that answer to prayer, no matter how long it took, fuel your worship and your thanksgiving. Because that's what it's all about, that we might believe. Could we stand together? We're going to sing. And I'd love to pray for you, really the way Mike prayed before, but just to reiterate what he, what he had said. <clears throat> If you have a dream that you really have wished that it would come alive again, maybe just hold it out to the Lord and I just would love to pray. Lord God, the living God, Alpha and Omega, who knows the end from the beginning, who knows every heartbeat, every day of our life has been ordained before one came to be. You know us completely, O oh Lord. Search us. Question us. Take us on into the character of Christ.
Thank you that we've been given this gift of righteousness by faith in Christ. And along with righteousness came good works prepared in advance for us to do. We thank you so much that we are not here to sit idly by, but you've made us for a purpose, to share the glory of the good news of the gospel. And we have dreams of being part of those kingdom purposes. We pray you'd raise them to life. You know every individual, you heard Kerry's, but many have just articulated in their hearts, in their minds. Lord, for those who need to be able to powerfully reframe their past so they could pre-frame their future, marinated in the powerful grace of the kingdom, would you allow it to happen? Would you allow us to bury the things that need to be buried for this year and look forward with hope and vision and excitement for what you're going to do in our lives and through our lives for your glory in 2022. Lord, we want to be wholehearted as a church. Whether few or many, it's up to you. And out of that wholehearted devotion, we long to be fruitful.